to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. God said, Amen. You turn in your bulletins to page 6. If you'd like to read your Bibles, you're certainly not forbidden to do so. <laughs> it's just that these are arranged in a convenient way to, so that you can compare these passages and pull the themes, the theme together of them. We'll start with page six. We actually do consecration first and then talk about transformation. <clears throat> Again, we're, we're talking about the Lord's Supper, and uh, I think in terms of the Lord's Supper, it's the same really with the cross of Christ in general, that we tend to think, I think Christianity in general tends to think, only in terms of uh, forgiveness. And of course, the cross of Christ is critical for forgiveness, that He bore our punishment on the cross, that He bore our wrath so that we do not suffer that wrath, so that we can be freely accepted and forgiven in Christ. But it's also uh, just as important for us to understand that the cross is not only critical for forgiveness, but it's critical for our daily lives. Critical. We, Paul will not, does not talk about obedience apart from what has been accomplished for us in the cross of Christ. Our union with Christ in the cross, in his death and in his resurrection. <clears throat> I think that helps us, uh, for instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2, Paul describes the gospel in these ways. He, he describes it as the word of the cross, for instance. He describes it as... Uh, Christ crucified, or sometimes he says, just he pictures it as Christ, <clears throat> uh, the word of the cross, the cross of Christ. And then in chapter two, he says, Christ and him crucified. Well, all of these are just synonyms for the gospel. But you see how every time he talks about the gospel, he describes it in terms of the cross. Well, that doesn't mean that all Paul talks about then is the forgiveness that we receive from the cross. Rather, it's showing that he preaches about all of life in terms of the cross and that the cross applies to every part of life. So that when he un unleashes the full gospel that applies to every area of life and everything we do and everything we are, that the cross is central to those things. So, as well, when we come to the Lord's table, I think I want us to be enriched in our understanding of receiving the supper, not only to be thinking about the forgiveness that we have in Christ, 
but to be thinking about how we are consecrating ourselves to God in the supper as Jesus consecrated himself in death and that this promises us not only are we consecrated to God, but we are transformed by the cross of Christ, by his death and resurrection. And that this supper helps us believe that he, his cross, his death has lively application in your life at all times. So, forgiveness, but also consecration and transformation. Let's read then these texts. Luke 9. And in each of these, there will be some correlation to what Christ has done and what we are to be. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And what's interesting, this is said on the heels of Peter rebuking Jesus for talking about his own death. Okay? So Peter says... Not only am I going to die, but anybody that follows me better be ready to die. This is the pattern for your life. This isn't going to be dismissed by your little rebuke of me. Let's just get this out of the way. This defines every follower of of me is the cross. So it's an emphatic way to say, absolutely not, Peter. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. But what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And I would suggest to you that as we come to the table, we're to bear in mind texts like this, that the Lord Jesus who gave himself uh, demands and enables us to give ourselves and to bear the world's persecution even as Jesus did. That's the symbol of the cross, is bearing the world's persecution. Within Ephesians 5, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then Romans 6 after talking about how we have been buried with Christ and raised up with Christ to a new life, he says, Therefore, don't let sin, let not sin, therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. And I think the supper affirms to us, you and you and you and you and you and you, you've been brought from death to life through the death and resurrection of Christ. And here that life is afforded you, that life is promised you. uh, And therefore you can present yourself to God as those alive from the dead. Well, In talking then about consecration, I want us to uh, think in terms of what Christ and how Paul reports it uh, says about about the body and what that means for us as a body and and as us being consecrated not only to God but consecrated to, to one another. 
Because each one of these thing, each one of these items of consecration has as its center giving ourselves to Christ and giving ourselves for others as well. That's part of losing our life, is losing our life for the sake of Christ in confessing Him and making Him known, in loving others as Christ has loved us. And not to present ourselves to sin is not to present ourselves for, to all that which opposes love, but to give ourselves up as instruments to God that we might be used in love for others. Well, when Paul talks about Jesus' words, and they're words that we repeat every time we have the Lord's Supper, this is my body which is for you. This is 1 Corinthians 11. And so we are to think of Christ's body as the body given for you. It's the for you body of Christ. Also, Paul talks about the breaking of the bread as Jesus, and in fact, the uh, supper is called early on the breaking of the bread. That was how it was named uh, in Acts 2, for instance, the breaking of the bread. And, and the, the bread broken is an indication of the body of Christ that's been abandoned to the cross. So both with blood and body, they are both the picture of the abandonment of Christ, the giving up of his life for us. Well, of course there's that aspect of since he gave himself up for me, I receive forgiveness. But there's also this example and demand that's embedded in the very meaning of the body of Christ. So we put it this way, this given for you body determines the character of us as a body. Okay? This body that's given for us, as we participate in it, we are acknowledging and confessing that we will be people that are like this. That we are participating in the life of Christ that was a sacrificial life. We are participating in a life that laid itself down for the sake of others. And we, as a body, as a whole, promise that we will manifest the character of that body that is given for us, abandoned to the cross for us, so that we will give ourselves away to each other. We will abandon ourselves for the sake of one another. And so... As we graphically participate in this one who's given his life for us, we not only are receiving and, and a, a fresh laying hold of the forgiveness that Christ affords us through his death, but we are being challenged and we are being nourished to be the kinds of people that are in keeping with this sacrifice of the body. So that Christ's very death determines our identity. It determines our lifestyle. It determines who we are, what we are to one another and a world and this dark world and how we will live. There's this aspect of Christ taking us as he consecrates himself to God and the cross. We in union with him by faith are consecrated up to God. And what's so wonderful about this that hit me with fresh force this week, 
is I am consecrated to God. I am consecrated to you and you to me. That's amazing, isn't it? You are a dedicated person to this body, to the body of Christ. Just as much as you're consecrated, dedicated to Christ, you are dedicated and consecrated to the body of Christ. Of course, this shows how we can never think of ourselves as on our own, you know, in the Christian life. We can never think of my relationship with God and Jesus as this little private affair with with Him and me, and as long as we're okay, I don't really need to bother with other believers. That's a denial of Jesus. It's a denial of the supper. It's a denial of the meaning of participating in the one who has given himself away. This, one, this body that is given for us, this blood shed for us, that for us means that we will be for one another. Now, this may seem like a frivolous example, but there's going to be a method in the madness. Uh, again, granddaughter, okay? And again, it's Harper, uh, the wild one, the three-year-old. So Harper is in, in preschool, and she's rehearsing for the preschool graduation. And she stands by a little boy named Trip. So they were, Melly picked her up from preschool. They're going home. Out of the blue, Harper says, Trip doesn't like me. Trip doesn't like it when I, I put my lips on him. So, Melly, of course, said, why are you putting your lips on him? Kissing him, of course, you know, like, mom, you know, what do you think I'm doing? I'm kissing him. And so she begins to tell her that, Harper, you don't kiss anybody but your family. You kiss your brothers, you kiss me and daddy and your, you know, grandfather. You don't kiss other people. You only kiss your family. So she really makes this clear. Kissing is out, you know, for your age and stage, kissing the family, right? So she texts the mother of Trip, saying, I'm sorry that Harper has annoyed Trip, and um, make sure it doesn't happen. And she calls the teacher and says, I, I want it understood that we're not supposed to be doing this. She's been annoying Trip. And so the teacher says, I will include among the instructions, let's keep our lips to ourselves. <laughs> Okay. So, next day, checking up. <clears throat> so, Harper, coming home from preschool, did you keep your lips to yourself? Yeah, I didn't talk. Red flag, right? <clears throat> she said, Harper, that's not what she meant by, not, by keeping your lips to yourself. Did you try to kiss Trip? She said, yeah, but it's okay now because he's not wiping them off. So, now how does that apply to this? You're thinking, you're going to take a long leap to get to. Well, it's, it's back to what, uh, Har- what uh, Melly was telling Harper, that family is the place where this affection shows itself, right? Family defines who we are. It defines how we treat one another. It defines the borders, in a sense, of what we are and who we are. 
And so the supper defines us as family. It defines the love that we must have for one another. It defines the sacrifice that we must have. And gloriously, it tells us you all are consecrated together to one another. You belong to one another as family, as the body of Christ. As Paul so clearly speaks of this in 1 Corinthians, that this uh, that we participate in as one body because there is one love, there is one bread to indicate the one body. And so, if, as you count yourself in participating in Christ as a member of Christ, then you count everyone else as a member of yourself, right? You're saying, I belong to the body of Christ. I belong to Christ. And so, I and all that I am and have belongs to this body, and this body belongs to me. I have an interest in Christ. They have an interest in Christ. Therefore, we have an interest in each other. So as I count to the degree that I count myself as a member of Christ, I count and must count you as a member of me and you, me as well. And of course, the question is, do I desire to cherish and protect and help the body as my own member? Now, this is a paraphrase of Calvin, but uh, he puts it this way. I cannot injure, despise, reject, abuse, or in any way offend a member without at the same time injuring, despising, and abusing Christ by the wrongs I do. I cannot love Christ without loving Him in my brothers and sisters. I must take the same care of them as I take for myself because they are members of me. As there is no part of my body that hurts except the whole rest of my body hurts with it, so we cannot allow any brother or sister to be affected by any pain or difficulty without being touched with compassion for him or her. And so he quotes Augustine that says, The supper is the bond of love. Isn't that beautiful? The supper is the bond of love. And so, we are consecrated to one another. And this dedication, this, this example that Christ sets before us in the supper itself, this declaration of His death has amazing implications for us that we too take up His cross, that we too will imitate Him and give ourselves and walk in love as Christ loved us. That we, as being set free by his death and resurrection, will present ourselves to God. Now, this immediately brings us to the necessity of transformation. It would be a rough thing and a sad thing if it was simply, by my own strength, I'm consecrating myself. But I've already indicated it's Christ that has brought us together. It's Christ that creates this Unity. It's Christ that consecrates us to one another. And so if you'll back up uh, to page 5, and let's read through these texts that talk about the transformation of the cross. And, and here again, I'm, I'm trying to connect you with different texts so that these kinds of texts can come before your mind and you can apply them to your own life as you think and meditate, remember the death of Jesus in the supper. 
Notice the, the varied ways he describes the results and the fruit of Jesus' death. Galatians 1, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. Now, this includes, of course, to deliver us from the judgment that belongs to this age, but also to deliver us from our membership in this present age and to bring us into the new age, which you find in 2 Corinthians 5, the next passage, if anyone is in Christ, he is new creation. And doesn't mean just you individually are new creation, but he's, he's talking about the new world, the new creation, the new situation that you live in. So through the death of Christ, I've been taken out of my former life and put into a whole new life with new relationship to God and to his people, a new relationship to the future, uh, a new relationship to God's salvation and grace. So this is what his death has done for you. Notice in Titus 2, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. Okay, So notice, it doesn't just say he gave himself for us to redeem us from judgment, to redeem us from punishment, to redeem us from the wrath of God. That's not the emphasis. But to redeem us from all lawlessness. And if you're familiar with Titus, he talks as much as anybody, pound for pound, you know, verse for verse, about walking in good works. But here's, the, here's really the source of all of that. Here's the central feature that brings it about. Because we've been redeemed from this lawlessness to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So his redemption has as its object a people that have a zeal for love, that have a zeal to do good. And I would suggest to you that this is part of what you come and receive in the Lord's Supper is the benefit of his death. Anybody here ever had any flagging zeal for good works? Any flagging, lacking zeal? I mean, has everybody come every Sunday just burning and desirous to spend yourself with people? Well, probably you're like me. A lot of Sundays, well, never is that perfect. But how often do we need to be nourished, you see, to be given the results of Christ's death, which means, oh, Lord, I bring to you all this failure in this regard, and I depend upon you, Lord Jesus, to continue to give me life so that more and more and more I can have the deepest desire and actually live out love to others. So I'm just saying that needs to be a part of our coming to the table. Not just, Lord, confessing our sin and receiving forgiveness, but expecting that he will manifest his life to us and his, his death will be so applied that these things will be accomplished in us. First Peter, same thing. And especially here you would think if he says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, specifically talking about bearing our sins, bearing the punishment, You'd think that the next phrase was, so that we could be forgiven of our sins. I mean, just, you would think that's what he's going to talk about, but it's not. It's that we would die to sin and live to righteousness. This is much like Romans 6 talks about being buried with Christ and being raised to a new life. 
And so Peter's talking about the same thing. And in that context, then he says, by his wounds, you have been healed. And by this, he means in that context, by his wounds, you've been healed morally. You're being, you have been and will be healed of all the corrupt things that you think and say and do. Because through his death, you're going to die to those things more and more. And you're going to live to a whole new life of righteousness, which in summary is doing right and good to people at all times. You were straying like sheep, now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And I think that's a, a wonderful picture, too, of coming to the shepherd and overseer, coming to the good shepherd who's given his life to set us free from sin. And we're coming and saying, oh, Lord, bring about the result of your death in my life. And I thank you for the, this supper, which promises me, which guarantees to me I will be set free from this sin that I'm struggling over. Oh, I thank you, Lord, that you will set me free from this or that sin. And then Romans 6 uh, based again on his talk earlier on the death and resurrection and how it brings us to new life. He says, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And of course, right after that, he says what we've already read on the page six, then don't let sin reign. Don't let sin reign because you're con to consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. You're to consider yourself in the state that First Peter says has been bought for you by the death of Jesus. And so I would close with just this, uh, I'll close with this exhortation, a couple. First, that it, I think is so important that you bring specific sins to the table, not only for forgiveness, but to bring your particular struggles and weaknesses and the particular conflicts that you may be having in your life and difficulties in whatever way. Struggles to obey God, struggles in thought life, in words, and what you're looking at, all of these things that you bring these, not only, Lord Jesus, that you would forgive me, but that, Lord, you would constantly transform me. I rest in the reality that you have so died for me that you will bring about in my life zealous love. You will bring about in my life a, a freedom from... And then instead of just saying sin in general, First Peter, begin to fill in your particular sins. Begin to fill in the righteousness that you want to cultivate in your life. And bring First Peter 2 to bear and believe and expect that as you partake of Christ through this, these symbols, that you are partaking of the benefits of his death. And those benefits are not just forgiveness, but they're continual transformation. What a joy to come to the supper as we come to the gospel itself that promises these things to be changed. And also, I'd like to tie this in with a phrase that Jesus has uh, uses in John 14 when he talks about praying in his name. And he says that if you pray anything in my name, uh, I, will, I will do it for you. And sometimes, uh, you may have heard me talk about this before in class, but we, we tend to think of that as just tacking on in the name of Christ at the end of the sermon and uh, end of the prayer and and many times at football games and the like, you know, we're kind of 
got our ear down to make sure this is going to be a Christian prayer. You know, make sure that he says, in the name of Jesus. Oh, good, this is in the name of Jesus. Now, I'm not against that phrase, certainly, but I don't think that exhausts its meaning and certainly isn't what Jesus really intended by that. By praying in his name, remember, the name of Jesus is, it's really synonymous with everything that Jesus is and everything that he's done. The name means the revelation or unfolding of everything that he is and everything that he's done. So to pray in his name is kind of the same as the gospel centering on Christ and him crucified. It's to pray in keeping with everything that Jesus has done for you and everything that he is for you. So, instead of my praying... Oh, Lord Jesus, help me with this sin of, let's say, jealousy. Lord, help me with the sin of jealousy. It's been eating me up. I just pray you would take it away. That's one way to pray it. But to pray in the name of Jesus would be, Lord Jesus, I read in Peter that you bore my sins on the cross, that I might die to sin and live to righteousness. Lord, I pray that you would apply the benefits of your cross to me so that I would die to this jealousy. That I would be done with it. And Lord, that I would give myself freely to love this person. That I would walk in righteousness. That even as you say, I would be zealous for good. Lord, I pray not only that I wouldn't be jealous of this person, but I'll be zealous for the good of this person. According to what you've done on the cross, bring it about, Lord. And this even creates an expectancy. He's died for it. Now, to me, these are prayers not that we can demand, but that we can have the greatest expectation. He must and will do this. He will bring these things about in his people's lives because he has begun a good work in us. He, he will continue it to the day of Christ Jesus. It says he's predestined to conform us to Christ. It's his plan. It's why he purchased us. It's why he died to bring this about in our lives. And so by his grace, as we come to the table, it, it proclaims and guarantees to us this transformation. It declares to us how we're to consecrate ourselves. And not only that, but that we are consecrated and have become something different in Christ Jesus. And hopefully this then, the center of our worship can then cause us in all of our prayers to think of the cross of Christ as central, as central to everything we seek to do, everything we, in, in every way that we seek to live. And thus, what? Jesus is glorified. Jesus is glorified. His cross is glorified. He's lifted up constantly as we are bringing him before uh, the Lord God as the reason the only reason why we could ever be blessed in Him. Let us pray. Lord, we lift You up and exalt You that You have accomplished such a salvation for Your people. You've given Yourself so freely to us, Lord, that You now have made us Your body. And as Paul says, You now nourish us and cherish us because we are your body. Oh, Lord, thank you that we belong to you. And thank you that you've redefined us and renamed us and rededicated us, that we don't have our old purpose. You've, you've carved us out of the rock 
and you're forming us as new creation. And as Paul says, that we're the workmanship of God now, though we were dead before we've been made alive, and now we're the workmanship created for good. And Lord, this is, this is proclaimed so beautifully by this supper that we get to partake. Oh Lord, we, we pray, bless us that we will have great expectation and great faith as we take you to ourselves through this supper. Your new life, your consecration, your transformation, your forgiveness. Bless us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. The pleasing scene is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. my fears away won't you chase my fears away